Welcome to What I Don't Know. There's a lot that I don't know, and I hope these short conversations are a fun way to get to talk to people and learn about something that I don't know. I hope you learned something too. Thanks for joining. Inclusivity means not just we are allowed to be here, but we are valued. I've always said smart teams will do amazing things, but truly diverse teams will do impossible things. This quote from Claudia Brindwoody, it's great to introduce the next episode. Impossible things are amazing things, and my guest is doing amazingly impossible things all the time. <laughs> Ebony Minds, I don't know how there are that many hours in the day. Uh, welcome to this episode <laughs> of What I Don't Know. Uh, you and I talked a little bit prior to this because I think as a self-proclaimed and factually backed up theater geek, we could take about, we could talk about theater like literally for hours. Mm -hmm. um, so for this conversation, uh, I, I know my question will be a little bit more specific. Mm -hmm. um, how do you talk about inclusivity in theater? How do I talk about inclusivity in theater? Um, I talk a lot about inclusivity in theater, particularly these days. Um, the beginning of 2020, I got into, as you know, like this program uh, for commercial theater producing and learning all that I did in that program, I it really began to be highlighted to me the ways in which we work that are not equitable, that just simply don't even make sense. Um, mm -hmm. and I, I will say too, like in, in my 30 years, <laughs> I, I, when I was younger, I just thought, you know, the thing I want to do, uh, like, I, sh I'll just be able to do it because of course I'm, I'm meant to do it. You know, I felt like I was called by God to do this work and, mm -hmm. The funny thing is, it wasn't until this year that I realized the thing that I want to do, if I ever get to do it, I will be making history. Mm. Amazing. And it's cool slash really upsetting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because to think that out of 2000 plus shows that Broadway has done, there have only been five African-American lead producers in all of Broadway's history, and only wow. two of those were women. Wow. That is exciting slash infuriating. <laughs> I, and I, that was something that I just learned this year. And then this week, um, I was at the Women of Broadway conference, which was obviously virtual, you know, because we're in COVID mm -hmm. times. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was a one of the two women who's been a lead producer on Broadway. And she said the first one, and this is what I didn't know, was actually Camille Cosby. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> wow. Uh, which was for um, uh, having our say. Okay. And I, I just thought, and that was 30 years ago. And I just thought mm -hmm. when I was growing up and when I was like, about 19 and, and said to myself, I want to be a theatrical producer. I want to go to Broadway someday. I 
you know, I was a teenager. And so I thought, well, of course, tons of other black people have done it before me. Like, of course, yeah, I'm not yeah. like there was no way that I would possibly think I would be making any sort of history. It's not I, I mean, I can speak for myself and saying that I didn't grow up thinking I want to make history someday. Like, I yeah. definitely want to leave something on the earth before I die, of course. But I never thought I like my heart's desire was to like make history and learning what I have, like even just in the last year, I'm, I'm so furious. Yeah. Um, yeah. So when we talk about inclusivity in theater, you know, we definitely have to look back at like the history of theater. I have to talk about minstrels and we have to talk about blackface yeah. and we have to talk about the fact that like hidden figures in the theater, there's so many shows that, you know, African-American people don't even know that happened. Like, for example, in 2016, there was Shuffle Along uh, that was written by George C. Wolfe. And it was actually like a musical within a musical because the, the story mm -hmm. was about the original production of Shuffle Along, which happened in the 1920s. But if you look at the interviews with the cast of the 2016 production, so many of them didn't even know that show happened. Mm -hmm. And so when we don't even know our history, right, like me not knowing that the, the, the desire of my heart actually would be me making history and for these incredible mm -hmm. actors that are like just kings and queens of the theater to not even know this history about us. Yeah, there's something really interesting about um, our accomplishments being silenced and us not knowing about the incredible ac accomplishments mm -hmm. of our forefathers because this country is so uh, sort of hell bent on making sure we know about all of the bad things that have happened to us mm -hmm. um, and mm -hmm. reminding us daily of our worthlessness and how our contributions don't matter and how we don't matter and all of that that we, we become so mired in just knowing about that, that we often don't know about all of the amazing contributions that our ancestors have made. Um, there's, mm -hmm. there's one writer in the theater community named Douglas Lyons. And last week, he, in his Instagram stories, he posted, you can see up above where he writes uh, his musicals and, and plays and everything, there are pictures of some very specific ancestors. He has a picture of James mm -hmm. Baldwin. Um, mm -hmm. He has a picture of the now late great Cicely Tyson. Um, and he has a couple pictures of a few other luminaries. And he says, you know, when I get down or I get frustrated or I feel like I can't continue to go, I look up at these people who paved the way for me to be able to a writer mm -hmm. for me to be able to be an artist and I know that like they did all of that work so that I could do what I'm doing now and so mm -hmm. in thinking about the system that we currently work inside of and how COVID has completely shut down Broadway specifically but all of theater uh, throughout the country mm -hmm. and of course we've got virtual theater happening but this does seem like the perfect time for us to begin to reframe, restructure, and rebuild mm -hmm. the theater community to be a much more mm -hmm. equitable place all over the world. 
Um, I will say that my big fear, though, is that so many companies, so many people who have the power, quote unquote, at this moment, will say, well, we just need to get back up and running. We just need to get back up and running and yeah. push the IDEA aside. But yeah, for me, and this is my deepest belief, IDEA is not to be siloed separate from the business of theater. I think that if you're doing good business, you also care deeply about inclusivity, diversity, equitable, equitability, mm -hmm. and accessibility. And mm -hmm. that if you take mm -hmm. care of those issues, the business will boom. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause even if yeah. we just talk about like coming, trying to come back, it's here, here's a little bit of like sort of backstory on theater. It's like so often theater, again, not just Broadway all over the country, they don't necessarily, they're not great at engaging the community that's just around them. Right. Broadway, of course, also. being the worst culp culprit. Um, uh -huh. For example, uh, there is yeah. a um, the play Latin History for Morons, John Leguizamo. Mm -hmm. Yeah, John Leguizamo. Wonderful. Yeah, yeah. So if you go on PBS, there's a documentary about the making of that play. And one of the mm -hmm. things he points out is that on the opening night, what they decided to do in marketing is they decided to talk to the Latinx business owners that are like just in the area hmm. did that. Mm -hmm. And he said, many of those business owners, pretty much all of them said that nobody had ever come to them and invited them to a show. Hmm. And I thought literally they're sitting right next, right next to Broadway and nobody even thinks mm -hmm. about inviting them in. So now we're in COVID, we're in a pandemic, and the tourists, right, that Broadway and mm -hmm. so many other theater communities, you know, they're looking, try to get people from all, the, all over the world, all over the country, yeah. but they didn't do the work of engaging the yeah. communities right there next to them, literally. Yeah. A block away, yeah. Right, yeah. and so yeah. like, now all of those mm -hmm. tourists, they're not gonna come running because people are still afraid of travel. Do you know what I'm saying? And so, like, mm -hmm. if you've done mm -hmm. the work previously of making sure that, like, the kids in the Bronx who never come to Manhattan were able to come into, into the city and see theater, if you cared yeah. about the kids in Brooklyn, the kids, all different areas, you would already have that built-in community, right? And so that yeah. in these times, right, when you're worried yeah. about trying to fill a theater, you would have already had a community that's ready to rally right next to you and be there yep. and have their butts in the seats. But because you didn't do that work, yeah. now you're like scrambling, yeah. trying to figure out what to do. And, yeah. and yeah. that is just one of the many reasons why I very much believe IDEA is, is, is also just, it's just good business. The two go in hand in hand. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and that's, I feel like that is completely yeah. transferable with so many other industries. Yeah. Um, I am kind of curious as something you had mentioned uh, at at the beginning of this, particularly the 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 messaging around. Well, you know, we just need mm -hmm. to get back. I, is that is that something that you are are seeing? Like, is that something that? Yep. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about that. Uh, so, okay, for example. 
Uh, okay, I'm just going to call out a major entity. And and full disclosure, mm -hmm. this major entity was one of the two sponsors of the program that I just graduated from. Okay. So okay. this summer, there's been a, a sort of burst of initiatives to create a more inclusive, equitable, and accessible theater community. And um, one of those organizations that's come out of this time is called We See You White American Theater. And it is okay. it has about 300 plus uh, artists, some honestly not even all theater, because I did see like Issa Rae's names on there. There's a bunch of people on who mm. signed on for this. And they created a document that has a list of 29 demands. Um, specifically mm -hmm. stating like these are the ways in which white supremacy has been oppressing people of color for generations in the theater community. Mm -hmm. And like, these are the ways in which you need to like begin dismantling that and be actively anti-racist. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. um, they sent it out to, I believe they said about 250 different theatrical organizations, not just within New York city, but all throughout the country. And mm -hmm. the, the one here in New York, which, I mean, they make the choice about like the, the lights being dimmed uh, here in New York City. They're a major entity here. The Broadway League, mm -hmm. right, has mm -hmm. not responded. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. we and we see White American Theater begin in like June and they haven't heard mm -hmm. word one mm -hmm. from them. Um, and they mm -hmm. have 50 task forces the Broadway League has had, they've created 50 task forces. Mm -hmm. And I'm just curious, what, like, what are these task forces doing? Yeah, and who's on like, Who's the on them? To not. What, yeah. what, what, what are we, what are we doing? And I've seen like, you know, some um, anti-bias training, but I'm like, okay, listen, we are way past anti-bias yeah, 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 yeah. training. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We're past that. Like we're in accomplice land. We need some accomplices to be actively anti-racist. Mm -hmm. We need to begin mm -hmm. doing the work of, of dismantling white supremacy in theater. Mm -hmm. Like stop with this, like pandering. Yeah. Like I, I don't, I, I, yeah. so, so because they're such a major entity and there are a lot of producers that um, are within the Broadway league, all the theater owners, um, and, and because of what they do, it is, it is, uh, really, it makes me nervous that they mm -hmm. haven't said anything. And, you know, I recognize that some of these task forces are specifically about like COVID related restrictions and mm -hmm. how to make sure people can come back to the theater safely. And also there's a lot of talk about like, when we talk about equitability, like there's also the problem of how expensive theater is to make. And that's like, mm -hmm. oh my gosh, I go down a rabbit mm -hmm. hole. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. But like, they seem very focused on just making sure we get back to the status quo and not to a new normal. And, mm -hmm. and that that is very concerning to me because the thing that I'm really scared of yeah. is us not learning anything from this pause. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I'm curious to just so we we think about the institution of Broadway. I, I'm curious if you see anything different uh, from 
the more like the the off Broadway, like the the more theater that is closer to the yeah. the people, like less less about like specifically Broadway as the institution. Do you see or hear anything different within those communities that you feel is an improvement, or like is it the same? Like is it the same kind of messaging? Um, I can speak to. I can speak to the theater company that I'm a board member on. It's called Colt Core and it's based out of Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. um, and the artistic director, mm -hmm. Adrian Campbell Holt has really been doing the work. Mm -hmm. And one of the committees of the board is the cultural competency, competency board or uh, committee. And they okay. are very mm -hmm. specifically mm -hmm. uh, looking out looking at how they're going to be dismantling white supremacy within the way that they make theater, making sure that they're being equitable about who they hire, who's part of the company, whose work they lift up and showcase. Um, uh, Adrian's been very intentional about looking at the 29 pages of, of um, demands from We See You White American Theater. And mm -hmm. it's just her mm -hmm. and one other woman and they're both part-time. And so when I look at her and all the hard work that, that she's doing to restructure and, and be uh, a better accomplice in this anti-racist work. Mm -hmm. I, I don't understand with the limited resources that she has, what, like she's on top of it. And then I see people with millions of mm -hmm. dollars and they're just ignoring. And that's, that's, mm -hmm. um, You know, yeah. it's like it's like a power grab, right? It's like the the power hungry yeah. uh, people who are just so eager to. I need to stay in the same place that I've always been, and then I'm afraid that if I create more a more equitable uh, structure, that means some of my power is going to be taken, and just not really doing the work of understanding like what we're living within is something that's called institutionalized racism. And the power that you have is not power that really you should have had, but it's, it's at the cost of mm -hmm. lives. Um, it's at the cost of people feeling fully human, their self-worth, um, their worth within this world. Um, and, and also, you know, just when I hear so many of the stories that have happened for, with, um, people, uh, in, on Broadway and off Broadway, I mean, some of these stories are absolutely uh, horrific. Mm. So mm -hmm. when I hear these stories and these experiences from my brothers and sisters in the BIPOC community, and I see people who are just like, we need to have a more palatable list of demands. Like this is like, I don't like the word demands. That makes me upset. Really? Are you listening to the stories? Mm -hmm. You know, I, yeah. I listened to this pastor. Yeah. pastor. Right. Is, is it, it about you? Yeah. <laughs> I meant me. You but, know? Yeah. Yeah. but yes. Um, I listened to yeah. this yeah. The pastor, Albert Tate. And this thing that's just so struck me, and it's funny because I was on a um, Broadway for racial justice call this week, specifically about the API community, but uh, something similar was said in that space where, you know, Pastor Tate talks about 
Um, and he says to, to my white siblings, the blood of your brothers and sisters has been crying out for, from the ground for generations and you've not been listening. We have been crying and weeping. We need mm -hmm. you to listen. We need you to pay attention and we need you to be doing this work with us. Um, you know, and then, mm -hmm. and then when we look at the exponential rise of abuse, torment, and death against the API community, I just, I mm -hmm. don't understand how we can turn a blind eye. I, we, these people can just turn a blind eye and be like, yeah. I, I, you know, I just, yeah. people are literally dying here. Like this isn't a metaphorical yeah. people are actually dying. Yeah. Yeah. You have to do something yeah. different. Yeah. Yeah. It is, un it is yeah. unturn away from. Yes. Yeah. Well, what are you, what are you doing personally to voice this frustration? And I, 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 I will say I, I put frustration on you. You did not say that. I recognize that. Um, uh, so feel free to rephrase, but like, what, what are you doing personally? So after have a voice. Uh, I did the, how many weeks was that? It was from January until the beginning of May. We did the CTI program. Um, we had a, I, I would host the happy hours. We used to have them in person, but COVID makes that. So then I would do them via mm -hmm. Zoom and people would come on. And uh, one of my classmates one day, he was showing us some very, you know, um, clear statistics about just like the audiences that come to theater, what the demographics are there in terms of uh, race, gender, and income. And, you know, when it's like something, mm -hmm. you know, you know, you just sort of know abstractly, right? Like, you know, that it's not affordable, you know, that when you go to the theater, you see a certain demographic of people sitting next to you. Um, mm -hmm. You recognize there's mm -hmm. a discrepancy and there's a problem. But then when somebody shows you hard numbers, it created a rage in me uh, <laughs> mm. that yeah. um, I had trouble. Like, I was just like, I couldn't sleep. I, I anxiety, like just I was yeah. turning. So. I was praying yeah. um, two mornings after that, and I felt like, like I just had this idea about doing some sort of mastermind or think tank around how we change. So I emailed yeah. This, yeah. this classmate, and I said, I, I don't know what this is. This is not a formed idea. This is mm -hmm. like just popped in my head. What do you think? And he was just like 100% on board. And um, he brought on another yeah. woman that he had been having similar conversations with who was also in our CTI program. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. we started the think tank mm -hmm. for theatrical innovation. Um, and we we have since the end of mm, not the end of May, the middle of May of 2020, been meeting weekly and having conversations specifically around how we create a more equitable um, theater community, not just in New York City, but all over the country. And so mm -hmm. outside of just having mm -hmm. the conversations while they are important, and I will say that so many of the people that are within our think tank have taken these conversations really deep in their spirits and have 
used the conversations and what they've learned in us being candid with each other and open and honest and learning from each other and learning from people who are smarter than us by reading and, and resources and everything. Um, they've been taking it into their own personal work outside of the think tank, but we do have three task forces. Mm -hmm. One is called Pathways. Another one is called the Pledge and Certification. And another one is BIPOC Industry uh, List. And so the industry list um, is specifically to make, here's the thing that happens frequently, right? Is you have just in the same way, people are like, well, we just need to come back. A similar thing happens when people begin to hire for shows. They're like, well, I know this person. I don't know any BIPOC people mm -hmm. who want to do this. So to cut mm -hmm. that nonsense mm -hmm. off at the pass, because there's plenty of BIPOC people who are more yeah. than qualified to yeah. work, this industry list will be like, yeah. excuse me, what? Here's a Amazing. list of people that can do the job that you need them yeah. to do. Because what you're saying just means yeah. you're lazy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or uncomfortable. Um, yeah. And so then mm -hmm. the other task force pathways, we're specifically trying to create pathways for not just young people. Right now, the, the thing that we're about to launch in April is specifically for young people within a certain age bracket, because we're working with a, a program um, that has already been built, but we're working with a, a company and we're building out a lesson plan that's specific to a certain show and things like that. So, so that is going to provide, um, this particular thing will provide uh, transparency in the industry to young people who don't really know a lot about it, but also um, the mm -hmm. subject matter of this particular musical is one that um, is all about inclusivity, acceptance, um, and not just acceptance of others, but also acceptance of, of yourself. And so to be able mm -hmm. to instill those values in young people uh, through the work, um, but also because it'll be digital, so there's no barrier, or there's a low barrier for entry, that's mm -hmm. that's also a huge mm -hmm. part of, yeah. of the work is, is to make sure that, that, that's one of the huge blessings of COVID is that, that you just need Wi-Fi to watch theater now. You don't need a hundred dollar, yeah, yeah. two hundred and fifty dollar ticket. You just need Wi-Fi. Yeah. Um, and so we are trying to also yeah. be a part a part of that. Um, and then the pledge and certification is the one where there's been a lot of pledges that have come out from all of these different NFPs that mm -hmm. I told you about earlier. Uh, but the mm -hmm. thing is, like, okay, fine. So you have a pledge. How do you do the follow up work? I feel that we see you white American theaters yeah. been doing sort yeah. of the best job at that. Um, uh, but mm -hmm. you know, we, we're coming at it from, there is a, uh, rule called the Mansfield rule, which is based in, um, law firms have to have a certain certification to prove that they've been doing anti-racist training. And also that like there's specific stipulations okay. on hiring, uh, time, uh, you uh -huh. know, the percentage of BIPOC, LGBTQ+, plus that they are uh, at least looking mm -hmm. at, because you can't tell people how many to hire, right? That's against Title yeah. VII. Yeah. 
Yeah. So um, we 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 saw that, and now we're like, how can we develop this for the theater community? So that's what the pledge and certification is doing right now. Is actually working to take this Mansfield role. And I know mm -hmm. advertising, which is my day job, they also have something similar. Um, we're we're looking at trying to get mm -hmm. this um, to be something within the industry that's used industry wide, so that shows will have to have some sort of seal of certification or building out a not-for-profit so that there's also follow-up because I, like I said, a lot of the problem with the pledge is fine, you sign mm -hmm. it, but how do we check in and make sure you're doing it? Yeah, but how do you... Accountability, accountability is key yeah. because if you yeah. don't continue yeah. to do that and continue to follow up, then like people just fall through the cracks and stop doing it, right? Um, and so with the Mansfield rule, mm -hmm. they have at six-month check-ins. We're going to have to build up to that because we're mm -hmm. baby new. Mm -hmm. uh, but at least yeah. for now, like annual yeah, check-ins. Yeah. Yeah. And um, right now we're building out our 1.0. We've already written the pledge. So so th yeah. this, is the, this is the work that I'm doing to try to dismantle racism. But I also yeah. feel like, you know, in the work that I've produced uh, with Typecast, with the Women's Cycle, uh, with the film I co-produced, and with the podcast, even where the podcast we have, you know, Pamela and I are very vocal about how we feel about things that are happening within the industry and without uh, mm -hmm. that, you know, feel very um, misogynistic, uh, feel very uh, um, anti-racist and, you know, a lot of um, different things that we feel are important to elevate and talk about, especially as people who are people of faith and, you know, looking at the world the way it is, yeah. you would think people have, there's a misconception because the loudest ones are the most egregious and horrible. <laughs> um, there mm -hmm. that, that we don't care, mm -hmm. you know, that we're, we're not trying to do this yeah. work, that yeah. we're not um, cognizant of the fact that like, so much of what's happening in the world is against what Jesus would want us to be living like, to be doing. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like in every mm -hmm. everything that I make, this just sort of bleeds in because it's so important to me. Um, and also, I'm just like a Black woman who has to live in this world, right? So like, I, I, mm -hmm. I know there's Black people yeah. who, who don't believe that, that systemic racism is real. And if I'm truly honest with you, sometimes I feel like it must, is it easier? Maybe it's easier uh, to, to believe mm. that, mm. you know, like yeah. I wouldn't be out here protesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be out here spending like so much of my week working on the think tank, which we call T3I. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be out here like just looking at everything that's happening and feel overwhelmed by it. If I just, if I was like mm -hmm. these people mm -hmm. who don't believe it's a real thing. And sometimes I'm like, is maybe that would be easier. Is that easier? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it <laughs> definitely bring me back to an earlier point where I just <laughs> don't know how there are enough hours in a day for all the work that you're doing. It's amazing. Uh, I did have one question that I'm curious about the visual. Who are your 
people in a frame mm. that you look up to when you get frustrated and don't feel like you're seeing the progress that you want? Who do you have framed either physically or? Uh, I mean, I, I think about my parents a lot because my, you know, both of my parents are gone, mm -hmm. but my mom, you know, she was, she was that generation that was bust in to integrate, right? Um, my dad grew up, mm -hmm. you know, a sharecropper, you know, which is one step above slavery mm -hmm. and managed to get like four degrees. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I, mm -hmm. I, I often think about like everything the two of them went through and how I look sometimes. And I just feel like if they were still here, they'd be like, what is happening? Um, we went yeah. through all yeah. this yeah. hoping things would be better. And I also think about, you know, like my 102 year old grandmother who outlived both of them and only died in 2018. Mm -hmm. And just like what the world looked like in 1915 when she was born, as opposed to when she died in 2018 mm -hmm. and just, um, mm -hmm everything she had to go through to survive and not even, you know, being able to go to high school and literally talking about that being a major disappointment for her. She talked about that until the day she died. Like that was a huge, so, you know, wow. the, yeah. the three of them, yeah. um, my mother believing in me when I was crying on the phone, like nothing's ever going to happen. And, and sometimes I still feel like, overwhelmed and like um you know sometimes I still feel like have I like there's so much more I want to be doing and it's it's I'm nowhere near where mm -hmm. I want to be mm -hmm. I'm farther than I was but I'm nowhere near where I want to be yeah yeah um and then recently yeah. with Cicely Tyson passing that was sort of like a mm -hmm. it had like it was a very layered uh, emotional response I had to it because, you know, I, I tell the story on Instagram of the first time I ever saw her, which was um, there's a movie called um, The Life of Jane Pittman. And Cicely was in her 30s when she did this part. And this movie was a TV mm -hmm. movie, right, in the 70s. So you can imagine the, the makeup to portray an over 100-year-old woman was like, mm -hmm. meh at best, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Especially for such and a so striking, beautiful woman. so I could tell she was young and that it was just makeup because it just was 1970s makeup. Yeah. But um, I remember knowing she was young and seeing how compelling she was and just being completely in awe of her. And uh, ever after that movie, mm. even if my mom didn't, physically know where I was like she was like she's somewhere here she would just call out from wherever she was when Cicely Tyson was on the television she would just be like Ebony Cicely Tyson's on and she didn't know where I was but all of a sudden pitter patter of little feet came running and got louder and yeah. louder and plopped themselves right in front of the television yeah and so when <laughs> she passed away a yeah. few weeks ago it was like this 
I did get to see her on Broadway before she passed. She was in the gym game, gym game with James Earl Jones. Mm -hmm. And I got to see that. But I, I felt like, oh, I missed it. Like, I missed her. I wanted to, to tell her how important she was to me. I wanted to know her. Like, I wanted mm -hmm. to be in her presence mm -hmm. and, and none of that ever happened. And so there was this level mm -hmm. of feeling like I was a massive failure because I, I'm not where I want to be. Um, mm -hmm. And then, you know, I mm -hmm. talked to a friend and, and they were like, but also like, that's the work that you continue to do. Like she does her work. She leaves a legacy. Your life is forever changed. And now you have to continue yeah. that because it was her time yeah. to go. And yeah. so I try, I like try yeah. to hold on yeah. to that piece when I get down about feeling like I'm not where I want to be, but like these people did all of this work so yeah. that I could be at least where I am now. And if they hadn't done that hard work, mm -hmm. then I wouldn't even be able to do this bit. So, so those yeah. are my yeah. people. <laughs> yeah. Impossible, amazing thing. Sure. Well, I, I do want to transition to some resources. Can I, you brought up a couple um, already, um, but would love to call out any resources specifically to learn more about what's being done about inclusivity in theater. Yeah. Um, and also you brought up your podcasts. So uh, please um, give a little well, bit of detail for resources, on well. I mentioned We See You White American Theater. You can just go to we see you white American Theater mm -hmm. dot org, I believe. Um, it'll be in the show notes because I sent Nicole the link for all of these. Um, and you can read the 29-page yep. statement. Um, I also uh, sent the uh, Broadway Refocused podcast, which is super new. Um, and that that uh, it's a family of podcasts because it's two different podcasts. It's also musicals with... Um, okay. Is, is also specifically has another podcast about musicals and, and looking at musicals and that. And so those two are specifically okay. about, you know, we will see a, a musical or we'll see something happening in the industry. And if we look at that, are we looking at like what, how many women were involved in that creative team? How many BIPOC people were involved in the cast or the creative mm -hmm. team? And like, if, if we see like that it's a very small number, like we need to sit and interrogate that. Um, and then another resource mm -hmm. I gave, uh, which was actually my sort of foray into all of this is the Broadway Advocacy Coalition. Um, this coalition was actually started by mm -hmm. uh, members of the Shuffle Along Company from 2016 that I was talking about. And so you have Britton Smith oh, cool. and Adrian yeah. Warren are the yeah. co-founders of this organization. Um, and they, they don't just talk about theater. They also like lobby in the government. They do a lot of uh, work across different platforms. And um, they also have a quarterly coalition meeting where they bring together a bunch of different NFPs like T3I, that are doing the work. It's where I met um, people from the Broadway for Racial Justice Initiative, uh, Black Theater United, which was also mm -hmm. started by like, you know, Audra McDonald, um, LaShawns. I mean, these are the, 
I mean, like the, the kings of queens of the black community and theater of the moment and Kenny yeah. Leon. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so they'll have a quarterly meeting. We get to sit and talk and see like what each one is doing. And it brings a level of camaraderie because really theater is so disjointed. And so to know what work somebody else is doing, mm -hmm. you can sort of join with that and not feel like you're, you're doing on top of what, you know what I mean? Um, and so yeah. those, yeah. those yeah. are the three, and of course I mentioned Broadway for Racial Justice, but the coalition also um, sometimes has a yeah. list of all the organizations, so that can help as well because there's a lot of us doing work. So last question for you. What do you not know that you wish that you did? Um, the thing that I don't know that I, I wish I did know, honestly, I've, I've felt like a broken record over the years, but especially now with what's happened um, in 2020, I think it's given me a lot of pause again to think about going back to um, the drawing board and I'm thinking a lot about, you know, how do I make this transition from, you know, all of the work that I seem to be um, getting and making after my regular day job hours and parlay this into a full-time job because the older I get, the harder it feels like to be doing several jobs um, mm -hmm. every single day and, I mean, I've had to like pencil in rest <laughs> so mm. that I have, you That's know, smart. I mean, it's, it's the only way because otherwise, mm. you know, I'll be totally spent and you never want to get yourself to a place where you feel like, you know, you don't want to be doing the work anymore because you're so tired. So um, mm -hmm. 2020 and the great pause has given, given me clarity on just, it's absolutely imperative that I take time. But um, I, I really still have not figured out, even in the six years since you and I did uh, the business coaching, still haven't mm -hmm. quite figured out how to, how to make that transition. Um, I, I was at the Women of Broadway conference this week. It was just virtual, and you could just watch. It was more like a webinar. Um, mm -hmm. And one of the producers, one of the Broadway producers on there who I actually mentioned something she said earlier in the, this interview, but, you know, she was just telling all of the young people, you know, if you want to be a producer, a lot of young people have this notion that like you can just be a producer and that's it. And that's like your full time job. And she's like, you have to have several different streams of income. And so I'm like, what would those streams of income be for me? Mm hmm. I feel like I'm still, I'm still working all of that out. Yeah, I feel you. Yeah, I feel you. Uh, well, thank you for this, for this interview. Um, you are an amazing person and an amazing friend. I am so excited to see what you're doing and to support you going further. So thank you. Thank for you this. for having me. <laughs> all right. Bye. Thank you for listening to What I Don't Know. And if you know something that you would like to share, reach out to me at hello at whatidontknowpodcast.com. No apostrophe in a don't. 
hello at whatidontknowpodcast.com. See you next time.